Daniel 9, 20-23. It reads, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell, you, tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you tonight. Thank you, Stan, for leading us in those uh, very fine songs, such beautiful sentiments expressed in those songs, and we're very grateful for them and for the fine way that you as a congregation enter into our worship. We're always very grateful and thankful for that. If you're visiting with us tonight, we're always very happy to have you. Thank you for coming and being with us. Somewhat of inclement weather headed our way. Still, you chose to be with us tonight to worship and I am very grateful for that and and appreciate your faithfulness and dedication. Please remember the uh, admonitions about our gospel meeting that's coming, and we're very grateful that we're having that and look forward to having a great week and and, uh, the dinners that are planned both on that Sunday morning and on Wednesday uh, afternoon. I hope that you'll be a part of that if you're free, and it'll be a a fine time for us to get together and and part of our worship together and our fellowship together as well. Uh, Tonight I want to speak about the great man Daniel. I spoke about Samson last last Sunday night, and I got the idea that I would ask you some questions in the bulletin. So if you have your bulletin, you'll find on the inside cover the column that I write, and um, if I do my job right, then I will answer these questions that you have. If you do your job right in listening, you'll be able to answer and fill in those blanks. Now, there's a lot of material for us to cover. A lot of these answers can just be seen from the scriptures themselves. But you'll be able to follow along with me and and watch carefully and listen a little more carefully with regard to the lesson. You always listen so admirably well, and I'm very grateful for that. And thank you for your time, and thank you for your attention. Uh, There are very few people in the Bible that there is no criticism of them or negative statement about them at all, and Daniel is one of them. Nothing adverse is ever said about Daniel. In fact, he's referred to by Ezekiel three times, that uh, Daniel, Noah, and Job were people that were righteous people, Ezekiel chapter 14 and 14 and various other places. Daniel's life spans the 70 years of Babylonian captivity that took place in the lives of the children of Judah. In other words, God chastised his wicked people and carried them away into captivity. There they remained for 70 years. In the very beginnings of that captivity, there Daniel was one of the young ones that was taken along with his three friends, and there they were placed in the court of the king, and they were given special training for three years. His life would span that entire time of captivity, even after the death of Nebuchadnezzar 
and then his descendant, uh, Nabal Palazar, and then on into the Medes and the Persians. Daniel would live to see that rise and that particular matter in 536 B.C. That would mean that Daniel must have been something around 14, 15 years old when he was carried away into Babylonian captivity. He was given, as part of a re-identification program, a new name. Instead of his Hebrew name Daniel, he was given the name Belshazzar. And Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, his three friends, uh, were given their names, their Babylonian names. And the story of Daniel tells us a great deal about how to live the Christian life. It's more than just interesting reading, but it really encourages us and motivates us to live stronger and faithful lives for Christ. And so I hope you see that lesson tonight as I do the best that I can with the discussion and the material that we have before us. There's so much material here, it would be a series of sermons could be preached on this matter. And so I'll try to summarize just as, possible, just as much as I possibly can about the life of Daniel and the things that God really wants us to see in his life. One of the things that we'd have to be impressed with is the fact that Daniel was a man of strong resolution. Uh, Daniel was selected in chapter 1. You see, he was selected to have special training. And the very best youths, very best young men were selected by the Ariarch, the king's chamberlain. And these would be the ones that would be selected for special training, for special care. And he underwent uh, this for three years. And this was part of uh, his uh, coming up under Babylonian rule. However, he was a man of great resolution because in the very beginning, he's tested, and he does not want to eat the food, and he does not want to drink the drink that is given to him as far as being part of the king's training and part of the king's court. Now, he would not defile himself with that, verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. That was chapter 1, verse 8. Now he either is saying there, this is unclean. I'm not allowed to eat this under the old law. Or he's saying, this has been offered to idols, and I don't want to have anything to do with an idol. Or he's saying, the way this is prepared is not in accordance with God's will. But whatever the reason, Daniel is saying, I'm not going to eat that. Now, you'd have to be a strong man as a young man to say that to the king's chamberlain. Uh, When they pick these young men out for special training, you might could almost hear what some of them would say. Well, you know, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. Or we need to do this, otherwise we're going to ruffle the feathers of the king. Or we need to go ahead and eat this food and drink this wine because if we don't, we won't be able to climb up the corporate ladder like we want to. He could have said all those things. All those things could have gone through their minds, but not a Daniel. Daniel starts out the right way. And the circumstances were not going to make something right that was wrong beforehand. In other words, Daniel looked upon this matter as being the wrong thing to do. And Daniel wouldn't do it. The king's chamberlain came to him and said, Look, we've got to feed you. It's my responsibility to do that. You've got to eat. And Daniel says, Well, look, let us eat vegetables 
and drink water for 10 days. If we don't fare just as well as everybody else, then we'll do what you say that you have to do. And it turned out that God blessed them, and they fared just as well or better than those who ate the king's food and drank the king's wine. He is a man of resolution. He will not compromise. And what is wrong in his mind is not going to become right now simply because of circumstances. Is there not a great lesson in this for us as children of God? How many have been tempted to drink the wrong thing and in turn compromise their faith in God and spoil their influence for other people? The book of Proverbs is filled with admonitions about how we're to live and how we're to act and what we're not to do and what we are to do. Notice just a few that come to my mind. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, listen up. Wine is a mucker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Amen to that. We need to let that kind of thing go. Don't compromise your Christian faith by being involved in the drinking of social alcohol. Notice in Proverbs 23, in verse 29, the Bible tells us once again, this is a passage you ought to consider. Who has woe and who has sorrows? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. That's good advice, isn't it? The wise man's giving us good advice with regard to how to live. You see, Daniel was that kind of person. He refused and wouldn't eat it. Let's go to a New Testament passage, and the passage I have in mind is Galatians chapter 5. We need to be careful about what we eat and what we drink. If this body is the temple of the living God, and it is, then we've got to be careful how we care for our bodies. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, there we see there the fruit of the flesh, the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice that that matter of drunkenness came up in the works of the flesh, Ephesians 5, 19 through uh, 21. And then he tells us of the fruits of the Spirit, which we'll reserve for another time. You see, Daniel started out the right way. He said, I'm not going to eat anything, I'm not going to drink anything that's not in keeping with the Word of God. So he said in Daniel 1, it said of him in verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the king's wine. We'd have to say that here's a man who's able to say no. And I've always thought, and I've said many times, the word no is the hardest single-syllable word to use. All we have to do is say no to that. All we have to do is say, no, I'm not going to do that. And it is simply something that is hard for us to do. After all, look at Adam and Eve. All Adam and Eve had to do is say, no, I'm not going to do that. But they couldn't say no. They couldn't say no because they were weak. They couldn't say no because they wanted that fruit. God said, you're not to eat of this fruit, the tree which is in the midst of the garden. But yet Satan comes to Eve and he tempts her. Is this not a beautiful thing to look at? Wouldn't it be great to open up your eyes and you to become wise? And so she said yes. 
So many times we have failed to say no when all it would take is for one to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Have the courage to say no. You know what a chameleon is? A chameleon is an animal that blends in with a background. He does this as self-preservation. This little animal, you know, can look like a leaf. It can take on the color of the tree bark. It can take on the color of the soil that it's on. And so he tries to blend in. And he looks like everything else. And the better he can blend in, the less he will fear from those outside who might try to destroy him. But I think we have some Christians that act like chameleons. They try to blend in. They try to look like everyone else around them. They try to act like them. They try to talk like them. They try to behave like them. And they do their very best to blend in as much as they possibly can. No one wins in a situation like that. Certainly not a Christian who loses his influence. Now, Daniel was a person who didn't lose a thing. Daniel was a man of strong resolution, and he said no to the king's food and the king's drink. It was defiled for him, and he did not eat, and he did not drink that food. But did he lose anything in the process? Did he fail to be advanced as God wanted him to be advanced? No, not at all. He went all the way to the top. In fact, Daniel is so popular that many of the Persians are envious of Daniel and actually caused problems for Daniel, which we'll study a little bit later. But how many times have we deceived ourselves into thinking, if I don't do this, I'm somehow going to lose out. If I don't do this, somehow I'm not going to be able to take advantage of the opportunity. I, I won't get the opportunity to that I want. And so I involve myself in something that is compromising and sinful that I should not do. Daniel was a person that was strong in resolution. And make up your mind, I'm not going to do this. And then when the opportunity comes your way, you're much more apt to say no and be able to stick to it than you were before. But even though Daniel was a man of great resolution, Daniel was a man of great courage. And we'd have to admire Daniel for the courage that he has. And I think this is surely something that children of God need a good dose of today. Children of God need good courage, great courage, in order to resist the evil and to live for Christ. Let me illustrate what I mean by that. By the time you get to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is the one that interprets uh, the king's dream. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had uh, uh, an awesome dream there in Daniel chapter 2, and you'll want to read about it. And it frightened him, and he brought in all of his soothsayers and astronomers and all these guys, astrologers and all the enchanting uh, musicians, uh, magical arts, fellows involved in the magical arts, and he brings them in, and he says, now I want you to tell me what the dream is. And if you don't tell me what the dream is, I'm going to have Arioch, my chamberlain, kill you, put you to death. And I said, well, we can't do that. No king has ever uh, told us that we've got to come up with uh, the dream. You tell us what the dream is, we'll tell you what the interpretation is. He says, no, you've lied to me too many times. You try to tell me what I want to hear. I want to know what this dream really is all about. I'm in Daniel chapter 2. And I said, nobody can do that. And so he turns to his chamberlain and he says, execute them all. Before execution actually takes place, news of this by Arioch comes to uh, Daniel. And Daniel immediately goes to his three friends and they pray. And they pray that God will give Daniel the wisdom and the understanding to interpret the dream. Now the dream is simply this. 
Here Nebuchadnezzar had seen a, a great image, a splendorous type of image. And then one of the part of this image, its head was made of gold. The other part was made of silver, the belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, his feet iron mixed with clay. And God revealed that great vision to Daniel. And Daniel goes in before the presence of the king, and there the, he tells the king that he can interpret the dream. And the king says, now can you do it? And Daniel makes it very clear. Well, I personally can't do it. But God has given me the wisdom. God has given me the knowledge. The God that reigns in heaven, he has given you this dream. And he's given me the interpretation of it. And Daniel gives God the credit for the interpretation of this dream. And so he tells the king what the dream is. And then he tells him what the interpretation of the dream. He says in this particular passage, by verse 38, you are the head of gold. Each one of these different elements of this great metallic man that Nebuchadnezzar had a vision of or a dream of, that God gave him that dream or vision, represented a different world empire. And he said, now here the, the silver uh, represents another empire, a lesser empire than yours, and then one lesser than that, the bronze uh, portion of the image represents another empire, and then the, clay, the, the iron and the iron mixed with clay of the feet. Each one of these represents a different empire, but there's also something else in your dream, and that is a rock that had not been hewed with human hands, comes tumbling down and crashes into the metallic man and busts the metallic man and scatters him into pieces. And that rock grows into a mighty mountain and a great mountain. And it is a kingdom that did not come about by human hands. And we have this great verse, Daniel chapter 2 and 44, that every Christian should be well aware of. And in the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Never shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Of course, we understand that what the dream means is that Babylon was the head of gold. But who would come and over, overthrow Babylon? It would be the Medo-Persian Empire, the silver. And who would destroy them but Alexander and his brazen soldiers the element of brass. And who would overcome? The Greeks, but the Romans. And then Rome would be divided itself and in turn be destroyed. But what great kingdom did that stone represent? Well, it was the church of the Lord. The church of the Lord would be established in the days of the Roman Empire. And in turn, just as God had promised and God worked out in his own mind. But my point in talking about all of that is this. It had to take courage on Daniel's part to go into that king and say, look, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be crushed to pieces. The Persians are going to come in and take you over. And then a nation's going to take them over, and then another nation's going to take them over, the Roman Empire. And then there's a kingdom coming that will overpower all of them, which is the church of the Lord. It took a lot of courage to stand up to a king like that and say, you're going to be crushed to pieces. But that's the kind of man Daniel was. Daniel was a man of courage. Not only was he a man of resolution. I'm not going to eat the king's food. It is not right. It is not proper for me to do that. But he's also a man of courage that would walk up to that great king, the greatest on the face of the earth at the time, Nebuchadnezzar, and in turn say, you're going to be destroyed. God has given you this vision. 
How did Nebuchadnezzar respond? He gave great honors to Daniel and promoted Daniel because he could see that God's spirit was in Daniel, as the text tells us. You know, it took a lot of courage for Daniel in Daniel chapter 4 to interpret the dream of the tree. Now think about this for a minute. As you go back and you read the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel, you're going to find that Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And in this particular dream, and his dreams kept him up at night, and he didn't know the meaning of them. And so this particular dream, he sees a huge tree that goes all the way up to heaven. And you could see from the tree all the way to the ends of the earth. And the tree was beautiful leaves, bountiful fruit, shade for the beasts of the, of the earth, and a home for the birds of the air to lodge in. He says, what does this mean? And then a holy one came from heaven and chopped the tree down and lopped off his branches and put bands of iron and, and around its stump. What does the dream mean? And in is called Belshazzar, the Babylonian name for Daniel. He says, what does that mean? And Daniel paused. And I guess Nebuchadnezzar saw the hesitation right there. Maybe it was a concerned face. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar answered and said, he begins to interpret the dream. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. God rules in the kingdoms of men, and he's raised you up, and you're a great and powerful king of all the earth, and you bless many people. You're like that tree, but God is coming where he's going to destroy that tree, and he's going to chop it down, and you're going to eat grass like the ox of the field. You're going to live like a, an individual that's a wild person would live out in the wilderness, you will live in the dew of the earth, and you will be driven from the presence of men. And you know what that Daniel did? When he had the courage to tell the king the interpretation of the dream, how that God was going to bring him down and drive him from the throne, he calls upon Nebuchadnezzar to repent. He says in verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Verse 27. I suppose that's as gentle a way of saying it as it could be. And I believe that every gospel preacher should, even in the face of adverse news, tell the truth with love and kindness, admonishing people to repent. It was Paul's statement, Acts 20 and 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. May every faithful gospel preacher so preach and teach God's word that people would be convicted in heart and in turn be led to repent of their sins. And may we call upon people to repent and get out of their sin. Now this very thing happened to Nebuchadnezzar, beginning at about verse 28. The very thing that Daniel had prophesied and that God had uh, 
said would happen. And about verse 29 20, and verse 30, very interesting passage. Notice how God worked this. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? You see how filled with arrogance and pride he is. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. After that period of time, Nebuchadnezzar, living like a wild person out in the woods and in the wilderness, driven from the throne, comes to himself, the Bible says. And then he extols God, verse 37. Nebuchadnezzar, after this period of time takes place, says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. It takes a man of courage to deliver that kind of lesson in that kind of circumstance. But this particular matter is not over on the matter of courage in Daniel. By this particular time, it's Belshazzar on the throne, a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. You see, Nebu was the god of the Babylonians, and they would take his name as their name, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. You have Nebuchadnezzar, here a descendant of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But this guy is filled with such a wanton, licentious lifestyle. He has all of the lords and all of the people over for a great party. And they're filled with a wanton type of lifestyle, a drunken orgy. Then in the middle of the night, a hand extends from that dark sleeve and writes on the wall, Mini, Mini, Tikal, Ufarsen. Ah, it must have scared them to death. What does this mean? The mysterious hand that's written on the wall. Many, many tikal ufarsen. They look far and wide, and then someone remembers. By this time, an aged Daniel is able to interpret these particular matters, and Daniel comes in, and he tells this descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it, Thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now it would have been perhaps a temptation for us to say, well, you know, you guys, you know, when everything, everybody sobers up, then we'll explain to you what the deal is, but not Daniel. Daniel told him right then and there, this is what's going to happen. God's taking the kingdom away from you, and this very night he's giving it to that element of silver that he prophesied about long ago, the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar died that night, and of course uh, the kingdom passed to the Persian Empire on that occasion. It took courage upon the part of Daniel. May the Lord give us more Daniels who are resolute and who are courageous to preach and teach God's word with loving kindness. 
But I'd have to say, of all the things here, Daniel's surely a man of moral integrity. And it is an amazing thing about Daniel, the life of Daniel, how that he's able to live such a faithful, godly life in those particular days of pressure. Now, see, Daniel has been elevated at this particular point to here. He's treasurer over the entire nation of the Medo-Persian Empire. And at this particular time, the Babylonians are out, the Persians are in, and he's still elevated to such a high office and position. He's over all of the, uh, they call, they're called in the Bible satraps, and that probably would be like governors of provinces for our way of thinking. And he's over them all. And naturally, when you have a person that is elevated to such a key position, those under him are going to become envious and jealous of what Daniel has accomplished. And so they thought, well, let's look at the books. And let's see if Daniel's cooked the books here and see if there's any kind of misappropriation, any embezzlement, any absconding of funds, because Daniel's responsible for the treasury of the whole empire. Uh, surely everything can't work out just exactly right. But when they looked over all those books, every dime, every penny was accounted for. Daniel had not taken out of place, not even one red cent. They couldn't find anything wrong with his administration and his work. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4. And so they went back to think again. We've got to come up with something. And somebody, some wise guy says, you know what I saw? I saw Daniel pray three times every day. And he opens up the window to his chamber. And there he turns his face toward Jerusalem. And there he prays. Let's set a law and order that for 30 days, nobody is allowed to pray to any being but Darius the king. And you know that foolish old king bought into that? They went before him and said, we want to have a, a law, a law of the Medes and the Persians, a law that cannot be broken. Uh, that you go and if anybody... Uh, praise, let them pray to you as the king of the empire. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. How foolish. How foolish. And even after the doc document was signed, and Daniel knew it, Daniel goes to his room. In that upper chamber, he opens up the window, and he turns his face toward Jerusalem, and he prays to God. I suppose Daniel realized he was afraid not to pray to God in a case like that, rather than to be afraid to pray to God. He's certainly not the kind of man who's going to pray to a wicked pagan king that's filled with himself and filled with his own arrogance and ego. And when they see that, they say, aha, we've got him. So immediately they go to the king and say, you know, we had this law we passed for 30 days. Nobody's supposed to pray to anybody or anything except you. And we see this guy Daniel up there. He's praying to his God, and he does it every day, three times every day. What are we going to do about this? The Bible says it grieved the king because of Daniel and the law that he'd made, and he realized how foolish he was in making the law. But he knew there was nothing he could do about it. He knew that there was nothing he could do to change the matter, nor its punishment. And Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. Now this upset the king. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 19, Then at breakfast of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. 
He'd stayed up all night. He was fasting. He would not take anything that would divert his attention off of this. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. He had not slept the whole night because he saw the sadness and the mistake which he'd made. And he goes the first thing the next morning, and he calls out, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel speaks out. God had stayed the jaws of those savage beasts. What a great story. And they pulled Daniel out of that lion's den. Man of integrity. And there, when he saw how that God had protected him, he said, the angel came. The angel came and stayed the mouths of the lions. My God sent his angel, verse 22, and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. They pulled Daniel out of the lion's den, and all those fellows that came up with that law, you know what they did to them? They took them, their wives, their children, and threw them in the lion's den. And the Bible says before they ever hit the bottom, the lions overpowered them and crushed them. Powerful beasts. Daniel was a man of moral integrity, which leads me into this great point, and I'll have to be brief because I know our time is really uh, fleeting away. Daniel was a man of prayer, wasn't he? Daniel loved to pray. Daniel realized that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Back there in that story in Daniel chapter 2, when we were talking about that first dream that Daniel interpreted, he went before God in, in prayer and prayed that God would give him the answer to that particular dream, tell him what the dream was and give him the answer to that particular dream. The vision that he received in chapter 9, the 70 weeks vision, which I We'll not have the time to talk about tonight. You ought to read the prayer of Daniel in that section, Daniel 9, 4 through 19. It's a marvelous prayer, obviously sincere, coming from the heart of Daniel. And there, even in this terrible decree of the king, that no one is to pray for anybody or anything but pray to him alone, Daniel still prays to God because he realizes how important prayer is. And there in turn, he never forgets God in all that he does. Sometimes I hear people say, I don't have time to study the Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't see how you could not have time to study the Bible and how you don't have time to pray. Daniel was a person who opened up his window every day and he prayed to God and God listened to him. How many times do you pray? Have you been praying this week? We're starting a new week here, first day of the week. How many times will you pray today, and how many times will you pray this week? Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Do you believe in prayer? I do. Daniel was a man who believed in prayer. In fact, if we're the kind of people who say, I don't have time to pray, it ought to be the same thing as saying to us, we don't have the time to eat. Now, we'll make time to eat. Therefore, we must make time to pray.
The Bible says pray without ceasing. Jesus said all men ought always to pray. Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Matthew chapter 6. Praise to God. We ought to in our prayers have certain elements ought to be indicative of every prayer. Adoration to God. Confession of our faults before God. Thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. How can you go to God in prayer and not be thankful? And all the things that he has blessed us with and done for us, how he's protected us, and the list goes on and on. And supplication ought to be a part of every prayer. Praying for those who are less fortunate. Praying for the sick. We've heard tonight prayers for those who have had misfortunes and accidents and who are sick and who are contemplating medical procedures. We pray for these people because we believe in prayer. We believe that the child of God who's been obedient to the gospel of Christ, repented of his sins and confessed his faith and been baptized into Christ, may come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy in prayer. Daniel was a man of prayer. Are we people of prayer? We're the people who are supposed to know the book. When they talk about members of the church of Christ, they're talking about people who study the Bible and know the Bible, and we're known for that, and I hope and pray we never lose that distinction. But are we known as a people who love to pray? We're people who are known as these are the people who don't use mechanical instruments of music and worship service, and that's right. It's not authorized in the New Testament, and I hope and pray we never lose that distinction. But are we known as a people who love to pray, who love to speak from the depth of our heart? And thus petition our Heavenly Father. These are some of the thoughts that come to mind when you study the great life of Daniel. He's a man of great resolution. Great courage to preach and teach as he did before a wicked king. A man of great moral character. That even though it was against the a law, a law which they had no right to make, a law which was motivated by their envy and jealousy of Daniel not to pray, still he would pray anyway. It wouldn't stop him. You can't stop people from praying if they have a heart and mind to pray. You can pass all the law you want. If people want to pray, they're going to pray. And he was a man of prayer, a man who loved God and would talk to God through obedient faith and prayer. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to be more like Daniel. And I believe you want to be more like him too. If you're not a child of God tonight, I urge you to become one by obeying the gospel as I've outlined it for you, to repent of your sins and confess your faith, be baptized into Jesus Christ. If you've been unfaithful, do something about that tonight. Repent of those sins and be restored and rededicated, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And I urge you to do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.